In the book of John, um, there are seven times in which Jesus says, I am blank. Okay, he says that seven times. And every statement just gives us a glimpse into God's character and what he's like. And so as you've noticed for the month of July, we're diving into those seven I am statements of Jesus. And so last week, um, I challenged you to memorize the seven statements of Jesus. And so uh, at the door here today, there's some uh, papers that they say I am on them and have all of those scripture memory verses on it. Hiding scripture in your heart is so effective. It, it, it pops up just when you need it the most. It guides your thoughts. It guides your prayers. It comes out in your speech. And so as a church family, I really want us to memorize these verses together. So I want to keep encouraging you to do that. Um, get an accountability partner. Partner, get a friend, or um, you could even memorize it with your children or your teenagers. Kids and youth are all learning about the I am statements of Jesus through this whole month. Secondly, if you noticed, we asked some just incredible um, people in our community of faith to uh, paint some expressions of these I am statements, some just very talented people. And so you can see each of these is an expression of that. And, and so these artists, we really ask them to just capture this aspect of it. And so you can come up afterward and take a look at them a little bit, but they'll be displayed through this whole month. But our entire idea for this whole series is we want to connect with the great I am. Because the great I am wants to connect with us so badly. And so we're so excited to go through these statements. And so today, um, in just a moment, I'd like to, you to welcome our guest, um, Scott Martin. I want to tell you a little bit about him, although I'm sure he'll tell you more details about himself. But he's from Arizona. Um, and he's been part of Chi Alpha for many years, but recently, in spring of 2014, was appointed the National Chi Alpha Director. And I'm so excited to have him because his heart for the kingdom is so big. It's so big. And he has so much vision and so much passion for God's kingdom to grow. And his wife, Crystal, and he um, have personally invested in Joel and I uh, over the years as we have served in Chi Alpha. And because of Crystal and Scott's faithfulness, our church and our community has been eternally affected. I really believe it. And so I'm so excited for him to just be here and share a little bit of his heart with you today. Uh, when I asked Scott to come to Erie, I told him uh, it might snow in July. I'm not sure. So just pack your parka um, because we never know. But it has been very hot. But I also described to him that we are a church that loves students that we are a church that loves Chi Alpha, and we want, we are so committed um, to expanding God's kingdom in every way possible. And I told him I was so proud of our church family that I couldn't wait for him to meet all of you because of how passionate and focused on God's kingdom you are. And so he was thrilled to come in and just get to know some of you this weekend. So would you welcome Scott as he comes to share today? Thank you. Hey, well, th oh, now you have to. Hey, good morning, you mighty men and women of God in Erie and surrounding areas. Oh, you can do better than that, man. Come on, good morning, you mighty men and women of God. Oh, good, man, that's it. Hey, it's so good to be with you here this morning. Um, and just really want to say to the Schreibers just how grateful we are to, to both of you. It was so fun last night just talking with the Chi Alpha team, just, just hearing their heart. And Nicole, thank you so much. Showing up the door to be able to be here with all of you this morning. I really feel like God wants to do something and say something with us. But first, this morning we were singing a little song, and I picked up on one thing. We're talking about this one song, it mentioned calling and, and destiny. And I really believe with all my heart that every single one of us here 
were literally created with a purpose and a destiny in our lives. Every single one of us in here has a purpose and a destiny. Two great days in your life, the day that you were born, the second great day is the day that you realize why you were born. Let me suggest this to you today, that no matter what circumstances you're facing today, man, they cannot dictate God's purposes and being, and God's purpose and calling being fulfilled in your life. Matter of fact, there's only one thing that can really dictate God's purposes and his destiny being fulfilled in your life. You know what that is? You. Me, we're the only things that can really dictate that's how much of us we let, how much light we allow God to really shine in our lives and how much light we emit out. Those are the things that really dictate how God uses us. If we're talking about circumstances, I probably shouldn't even be standing before you today. I was born to a, a single parent. I've never seen my natural father. The only male figure in my family was my grandfather. He committed suicide in the house I lived in when I was five. My mother died of cancer when I was seven. I was left to live with my grandmother in inner city Phoenix. And really, I, I basically had no hope. I, summer, my summer tire was just a pair of shorts, cut off shorts. I cut off my winter pants, a pair of cut off shorts, and some flip flops. And I just had my, my reign around the town. But when I was eight years old, the Martin family took notice of me and they started inviting me to, uh, to hang out with them. And my my natural name is Scott Mercer, not Scott Martin. Um, but the Martins invited me to start hanging out with him. So I started hanging out with him. Well, Leroy Martin was just this, this man's man. I mean, he was a hunter, a fisherman, outdoorsman, PhD education, could fix anything. I was totally enamored by him. I was looking for male attention in my life. So I just became, I mean, just like this guy's shadow. Everywhere he went, I was following Leroy Martin. And one day, they invited me to uh, go to church with him. I'd never been in an evangelical church in my life. And I entered the threshold of Central Assembly of God on 9th and Oak Street in Phoenix, Arizona. And for the first time in my life at the age of eight, I experienced the love of the church. Now, how many guys know there's a difference between experiencing the love of God and the love of the church? There's a difference. God loves everybody. <laughs> so I just had to put that in there. But no, I really, I experienced the love of the church. I walked as an eight-year-old boy, and I mean, those people loved me. I mean, I really, matter of fact, my first Sunday school teacher, my primary Sunday school teacher, to this day, she was, she was a, a young Chinese girl who just got her first teaching job and 22, 23 years old. And to this day, she supported um, our family in missions She's put in minimally $100,000 into our, our ministry account. So I'm talking about love. I'm talking about these people really, really stepped up and loved me. When I was nine years old, the Martin family invited me to move in with them. We got to kind of quicker. So the Martin family invited me to move in with them. So the cool thing was that I got a new mom and dad. The challenging thing is that three sisters came with that package. <laughs> so we moved from this metropolis of Phoenix to this small rural community in Arizona called Florence. And Florence is between Phoenix and Tucson. Moved out on a farm and ranch out there. Leroy Martin became the junior high principal. Um, my new mom, Dina Martin, became the uh, elementary school teacher, and they had the farm and stuff. So I was just Now, the thing about Florence was that the Arizona State Penitentiary was also there. And so it was, to live in Florence, most people either had a family member in prison or they worked for the prison, okay? And sometimes there's a very fine line between those two. So they were, you know, it was, it was a rough community. I mean, it was a very, very rough community growing up. Um, no no spirit-filled church in the community. So the Martin family, just, just being very missional people, they said, you know, we really want to do 
whatever we can to see an Assemblies of God church be planted. And we get the kingdom of God and the Assemblies of God confused, but they wanted to see an Assemblies of God church planted there. So as lay people, they took the initiative to get a hold of the appropriate authorities and say, how do we start an a, a AG church there? So I saw them personally purchase land. I saw them walk through the process of paying a pastor's salary. I watched them buy the van. I mean, I watched that family give radically and sacrificially so that the church could be planted there in Florence. Now, on a really good Sunday morning in Florence, after that thing got rolling, man, on a really good Sunday morning, we're talking 35 people, not included the Trinity. You know, I mean, it was, that was a great Sunday morning, man. We're, we're cranking, okay? Um, and again, it was a very rough, rough community. Two people in my youth group, and I didn't even like the other person, and that was my sister, Debbie. So, I mean, I just, just as you get it, man, I, mean, I want to kind of get where I'm coming from today. Man, it was rough. But I did everything you did as a good church kid, as a good AG kid. You know, I went to camp. You know, I went to the, to the youth rallies. I went to the retreats. I did everything you did. Every time the doors opened the church, I was at the church. When I started hitting my teenage years, during the 16, 17, 18 years old, this whole spirit-filled, you know, Holy Ghost thing, honestly, I, I was kind of embarrassed by it. Um, and I really became nominal. And I was in a rugged... Four people in my high school are in prison today for murder. So just to get you a little picture of it. 262 students in my high school, 64 students in my graduating class. In that high school, I'm not exaggerating. There's only this many believers in that entire high school when I was there. And I'm only holding up four and a half fingers, okay? So I was like the half a Christian at that point. I was, I was barely hanging on. Now... <laughs> I, had, I didn't go off in rebellion. I didn't go off in sin. I was a good student. I was, a, I was a, a good son. When I was 16 years old, I changed my name to Martin myself. I was never adopted. I just changed my name to Martin just to avoid confusion. And, and so I didn't give anybody problems. I was very compliant. I was always at church, but I was nominal, man. I, I lost the fire of God in my life. It was, it was all about me. Everything was all about me. God was there for me. He was there to help me, help everything I did. It was all about me. I... Uh, so I, I end up graduating from Florence High School at the age of 18, and I determined I'd go to the University of Arizona, and there I'd get my medical doctor degree, get my big five-bedroom house in the foothills, buy all my toys, live happily ever after. And God was there to help me make sure all my dreams came true. I mean, that was my old sense. I was basically a Christian narcissist. I wanted just enough of Jesus to keep me out of hell, but make all my dreams come true. That was really what I said, man, to be real honest. So it was Thursday. August 25th, 1980-something, I entered the University of Arizona. My undergraduate degree is in biology. My master's is in soil and water science. So I, I entered the U of A that first day. My first class was Cell Bio 103. 350 students enrolled in the course. So there's more students in that one course than there was in my entire high school. So I come walking, 30,000 students on the university I'm way out of my element, man. I come in, I'm sitting in the back. I, I remember I'm sitting in the very back, back chairs. The professor gets up. He not handed out a syllabus yet. And he looks out amongst all the students. And you know, the first day, everybody's there. So everyone's in there. He asked this question. He said, how many of you believe in evolution? My first day on campus. How many of you believe in evolution? 338 students raised their hands and say that we believe that evolution was a creative force in the world. And I'm going to tell you how I knew the 338 because he asked a follow-up question. He said, how many of you believe that God created the earth? And I saw 11 students raise their hands, and I counted those 11. And being the good, nominal Christian I was that day, I decided I would abstain from the vote. So I did not put my lot in with them. But for the first time in my life at the age of 18, I had a word from God. 
Now, how many of you guys know that God still speaks to people today? You know that? Huh? Yeah, Lucy, man, and someone, we heard God speak today. God still speaks to people today. Matter of fact, God can speak to us more clearly than I'm speaking to you. And that morning, about 8.07 a.m., Holy Spirit speaks to me. First time in my life, word from God. And here's a direct quote. Scott, you were a weenie Christian who does not have the courage to take a stand for me. Oh, you think that's funny? How'd you like that for your first word from God, huh? <laughs> so I, had a, I mean, I had a revelation of who was in Christ. He's a great big weenie Christian, you know? Just, and what basically the Lord was saying was this. He put it in my vernacular, but basically what the Lord said was this. Scott, you don't have the courage to step up and be the man of God that I called you to be. That's basically what he was saying. You do not have what it takes to be the man of God that I have called you to be. Man, it shook him in my course. I started walking around campus and couldn't hardly shake that. I sent these posters up all over the university. It said, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship meets tonight in the Student Union Capital Lounge Room 285. Well, I had no idea what this InterVarsity thing was, but I picked up on the word Christian Fellowship. I said, I think I need to go there tonight. And so I, I drug my, my roommate with me. So we end up walking in, and I'll never forget, we got in a little late. You know, I'm still trying to figure out the lay of the land on the campus. Get in the union, I walk in a little late. I walked to the threshold of those doors, and when I walked in, I felt the tangible presence of the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, I'm talking right on the campus. I felt this little Christian narcissist felt the presence of the Lord. And I remember seeing around 80 students in there, one acoustic guitar, but these students were going for God with a sense of passion and authenticity that I never experienced from my own age group without some form of manipulation. I mean, they were going for God. And it triggered something in my heart. I said, whatever it is they have, I need that. I need whatever it is that these people have. I want to suggest something to you. There's something powerfully attractive about the authentic anointing of God. Satan would try to make it, the, oh, they're going to think you're stupid. They're going to think you're foolish. I'm telling you, there's something attractive about the authentic anointing of God. I was getting ready to leave that night. I was, I was about ready to walk out. As I was heading out, one of the, the students, man, caught me before I got out. He stopped me. His name was Paul. And he goes, hey, are you, is this your first time at InterVarsity? I said, yes. You know, your first day on campus? Yes. And so he starts talking. He goes, well, how about breakfast tomorrow morning? Um, sure. Yeah, I remember I didn't even check my, my calendar. I'll be there. So the next morning, 8 a.m., I'm sitting down with Paul one of the cafeterias in the student union. And he begins to just probe me a little bit about my life. Now, you know, where are you from? Why'd you pick the U of A? Tell me about your family. How long have you been a Christian? And he starts digging. And they start digging a little more into my personal spiritual life. And he says, now, Scott, how's your quiet time? I said, my what? He said, your quiet time. I said, I'm getting about six hours sleep a night. You know, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> I mean, I had no reference point. I, hey, I'm 18 years old. I've been raised in the church since I was eight, but I had never read the Bible for myself. I'd heard every message that could ever be preached. I could quote some scriptures, but I had never read it systematically for myself. Man, he started challenging me to start reading my Bible every day and to start praying, beginning to push me at the age of 18. So at the age of 18, I took him up on that, man. I started reading the Bible every day. Can I tell you something? There's something powerful when you personally assume responsibility for the words of Jesus. You hear what I'm saying? This is what we're talking about, the I am scriptures. Like when we personally assume responsibility for the words of Jesus, there's something powerful, something life-changing about that. Man, I remember, I said, okay, I'm all in, Jesus. I'm all in. I'm all in. I remember the day I bowed my knee and said, Jesus, I'll go anywhere, anytime, anyplace. I'm all yours 100%. Really tried to never deviate from that. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit out in front of the engineering building in public, man. Never been the same uh, from that point on. 
And it was out of that that we pioneered Chi Alpha. And how many, I'm sure most of you guys, how many of you guys know what Chi Alpha is? Come on. Okay, Chi Alpha's College Ministries, the Psalms of God in our secular universities. We pioneered Chi Alpha that year as students. We just want to see a powerful, spirit-filled move, just a, 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 an awakening happen on the University of Arizona. I served there for 15 years, and I just want to say that after that became the student missions directors of Chi Alpha. But I just want to say this. I have that the secular university is by far the most strategic mission field in the world. Now, you think about it with me. I'm not saying it's the most important, but I will say it is by far the most strategic. Every religion, race, creed, culture represented 365 days a year. And we as the church have the opportunity, at least for now, to be on the campus. Man, there's no place like it anywhere. I mean, these campuses you have, you know, the, the Penn State extents, I can't remember. Barons, Penn State Barons. And guys, thank you for the shirts. Penn State Barons, man. Edinburgh, some of the other campuses around here. My goodness, the potential for world change. Not just, not just area change, not just state change, but world change is unbelievable. I just say this, a secular university is a fulcrum of all cultural and societal evolution. Um, Charles Habib Malik, the former general secretary of the United Nations, said this. He said more potently than this, more potently than by any other means, you change the university, you change the world. It says, you change the university. You change the world. And that's why for the, I've been a part of Chi Alpha for 37 years. Um, and I see no change in that because I am committed to global change. And I believe the secular university is by far the most strategic mission field in the world. Thank you so much, church, for your support, for your advocacy for Chi Alpha, for the way that you give to help Chi Alpha flourish on Edinburgh, for the way that you give now to help plant the flag of Christ there at Penn State Barrens. Thank you. It's producing fruit, but it's going to produce a whole lot more. You guys are just getting started. And I want to say thank you because it blesses the entire movement of Chi Alpha. Thank you so much. Well, there's nothing like a good sex scandal to bring the community together. A woman got caught. She, she got busted for adultery. And she didn't just, you know, get in a predicament where she had to confess, well, I'm having an affair with so-and-so. No, she got busted in the very act of adultery. She got drugged before Jesus. The religious leaders drugged her before Jesus, threw her down at his feet. So here's the one who knows no sin, and the one who just got caught in sin, throws her down at his feet. Rabbi! Moses' law says that we should stone her. We should kill her. What do you say? So looking to entrap Jesus. What do you say? Jesus didn't answer him right away. He said he got down on his knees and just started writing in the dirt. He doesn't say anything wrong. He's just writing in the dirt. They had picked up their stones and he looked at them and he makes this classic statement that we all know, let him without sin cast the first stone. And it says, from the eldest to the least, they dropped their stones and they walked away. But this woman's still sitting there. The woman who had sinned and the one who would ultimately pay the price for her sin. You see, he was the one who was going to die for her adultery. And he knew that. He would be the one who would ultimately die for her adultery, and he knows that. And looks at her and he says, Woman, who are your accusers? She looks up. She's probably trembling, weeping. 
thinking she's about ready to die, she looks up and she says, there are none. Jesus says, neither do I. Now you go and you don't do that anymore. You go and you sin no more. But after he says that, Jesus says another statement, and we have to pull all this into context so that you understand where this comes from. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them, again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of the world. Now that phrase, I am, just in itself, caused a lot of little problems. You guys know why? Because initially it started with this. The Jews were debating about being the sons of Israel. And Jesus talks, being the sons of Abraham, Jesus talks about, yeah, that's no big deal at all. He could, you know, make sons of Abraham out of these rocks. So there's big debate. And then at the end, Jesus says this. Before Abraham was... I am. And that ticked them off. When he made that declaration, before Abraham was, I am. Literally, he equated himself with God. He equated himself with the great I am. So when he said that, man, they picked up stones to kill him. They were ticked. This passage, I am the light of the world, is the same I am as he said when he said, I am where Abraham was, I am. Now, that word light is the word phos. It's the same word that we get our word photon from or photo from. It's false. It, it basically means to illuminate, to bring things to manifestation, to manifest, okay? Really, to illuminate, to bring things to enlighten, to enlighten something. That's what that word means. So when we use it in this context, man, did this terrible thing is that Jesus just saves a life, and then he makes a statement. Hey, I am the light of the world. I will illuminate things. I will bring things to manifest. Light exposes what is lurking in the darkness. Huh? Light exposes. You know what? You hear people say, I'm afraid of the dark. You know, people's afraid of the dark. Man, there's been times, some of you guys, man, you're afraid going in the <laughs> before you hit the light on. Light illuminates what's there, man. It exposes what is lurking. But here's something even more powerful I want to pull into this, okay? So Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In other words, I'm the one who illuminates the truth for the entire world. That's what he just done. You see, he just exposed darkness with these religious leaders and with all the others who picked up stones to kill this woman. He just enlightened. He turned on the light switch and exposed them for what they were. And they all had to drop their stones and walk away. That's the context of this. Man, light exposes darkness. It illuminates. It brings to light. It manifests things. But in Matthew 5, chapter 14, or chapter uh, 5, verses 14 through 15, we find some other real, real powerful passages here that relate directly to this. It says this. You are the light of the world. It's the same word, false. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, but now he's saying, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in this house. So I'm going to bring this in context of when Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Now he says, you are the light of the world. Do you know why he says that? 
Because it's him in you. It is Christ in you that begins to illuminate things here in the world. Who is it who's going to show the light of Christ here in Erie? Who is it who's going to show the light of Christ in Edinburgh? Who is it going to show the light of Christ as we plant the flag of Christ on Barron's and Penn, at Penn State? It's us. It's Christ's light in us. The light of the world emanating through every single one of us. We have to take all this into context. It's Jesus' light in you that begins to illuminate his way, his path. It begins to expose the ways of darkness. Jesus said in the next verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, the way that Jesus' light shines throughout the whole world is through you. Let me tell you, we, uh, you know, I'll, I'll you, every time I need, here's the crazy thing. Somebody, every time I need a flashlight, it's never working. You know, we buy these high dollar flashlights, you know, that have the magnetic thing, you stick them on your truck, you know, they can slide open and it can illuminate all that stuff. Every time I go, for, it's never working. It's not charged, batteries are dead or something. I think sometimes our light can get like that if we're not careful. You know, different lights will have different lumens. You know, there's different lights will illuminate very brightly or some more dimly based on how they're charged. Jesus' light shined very, very brightly. But then the question is down to how does our light shine? How does your light shine? We know how Christ's light shine, but he's the light of the world, and the way that he's the light of the world is through you. How does your light shine how does my light shine? And if it's dim, I suggest we better plug up to the charger or put some new batteries in that thing. Because Christ's intent is that your light would shine just as brilliantly. The lumens would be the same as his, the light of the world. My uh, family and I had the great privilege of planting Chi Alpha in Central Asia. And so we planted Chi Alpha in the nations of Kyrgyzstan as well as Kazakhstan. I mean, this is former Soviet republics. These are Islamic nations today. And uh, very, very rough, challenging areas to live in and very, very challenging areas to minister in. We had, uh, we had the, so we did, uh, the first time we went was in 2006. We moved out in 2006. This is right after our first World Mission Summit. And the World Mission Summit is our National Chi Alpha Conference, our National Chi Alpha Student Conference. We work to bring in our thousands upon thousands of Chi Alpha students. It's all about missions. It's not about us. It's all about pointing Christ's light to the nations of the world. Now, I want to dig to a point here. So you said, I am the light of the world, but let me tell you this. That light's not shining. That light is so dim in Kyrgyzstan. It is so, so dim in Kyrgyzstan right now. Essentially, I mean, it's such a dim light. You want to know why? Because... The people of God, the kingdom of God, isn't there to illuminate, to bring the lumens, to shine the light. You are the light of the world. It goes right in connection with John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. His light shines through you. So we have the First World Mission Summit. And at that time, we give a call to every student there. Would you be willing to give a year in Prevail Lifetime in missions? Well, we had, I think it was 700 and 600 and some respond to and, and get, well, 13 of those, 13 of those ended up going with Crystal and I to Kyrgyzstan. And then uh, when we moved to Kazakhstan, 
10 others ended up joining us and moved with us to Kazakhstan as well. Well, our first day on the university in Central Asia, Crystal and I were walking through the campus. We were in what would be considered the student union, and it was a small, rundown, old Soviet university. I wish I could just transport you there and let you see it and feel it and, and the smells. But as you walked in, there were round tables around, and students were just sitting around sipping tea. So this is as Central Asian as you could possibly think. There were Afghans, there were Persians, there were Turkmen, there were Iranians, and they're all sitting out and they're sipping tea. And as they're walking through here, I hear English being spoken at this one table. It's being spoken really, really well. So I hear this thing, I said, man, Crystal, let's go out and talk to them. There's two girls. So let's go to the side of the two girls, if you would, with the one more friend band behind it. So these two girls are sitting there sipping tea, those girls. So the one on your left, her name is Lita. The one on your right, her name is um, Yetta. And so we sit there, oh, girls, your English is excellent. Where did you, where'd you learn English at? They said, well, as high school students, we studied in the States for a year. I'm going, wow, man, that, well, you guys have really done well. I mean, your, your English is so, so excellent. I said, where are you from? They said, well, we're from the nation of Turkmenistan. Now, how many of you here have ever heard of Turkmenistan? Raise your hand if you have. Not very many, okay, not very many. Let me tell you, now, all the Kaiafans heard it last night, but, I mean, no, we haven't heard of Turkmenistan. You know why? Because Turkmenistan is one of those totally locked down, closed Islamic states. The Assemblies of God has never had a missionary presence um, at all in Turkmenistan. It is one of those nations where we have never been able to get into. We've had teams ready, but check this out, check this out. We have had some short-term missionaries get in for a week to two weeks. Guess who they were? Part of our Chi Alpha team, part of those students who committed to give a year. They were the only ones in AGM who've been able to get in and minister there, okay? And it was all because of these two girls right here who had studied here in the U.S. for one year as high school students. So the girl to the left, I said, oh man, Turkmenistan. I said, that is so cool. Yeah, we're from Turkmenistan. That is so cool. So go and Lita. Lita, so where did you study? She said, well, I studied in Wisconsin. And uh, the other girl, and she told me a little about her experience. You know, did you get to ever experience a church or anything there? Yeah, we went once or twice. Let me tell you what. When you have high school students coming in your presence from four nations and they don't know the Lord, the opportunity that you have to lead them to Jesus and to show them the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is profound. You need to ensure that that light is illuminated to them. I am the light of the world. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. So Lita was in Wisconsin. Well, Ieta, she goes, well, I, I studied in one of those really far out states. I don't know if you've ever been there. I said, well, which one should, the state of Arizona. Girl, I'm from Arizona. No way, yes. And I literally had a University of Arizona t-shirt. I said, look, you know, I'm showing my U of A t-shirt. Oh my goodness, and so we're talking. I said, well, what, what town were you from? And she called it a village. I mean, well, I was from the village of Catalina. I said, and she, first of all, she said, oh, you probably won't know. I know every village in Arizona. I know every single village, village of Catalina. Oh, God, I know Catalina so well. You should drive by it all the time, going to U of A. So start talking about Catalina and things that only a local would know. You know, the, the, you guys don't have Circle K's out here. Do you have quick QT or something like that? You know, those kind of things. So Circle K out west is kind of like a QT. And um, 
she, she starts talking about 32 ounce thirst buster. You gotta understand, out there there's no ice. There's no ice, there's no all you can eat, there's no refills, that does not exist there. She starts talking about 32 ounce thirst buster. I'm not joking, her eyes start misting with tears, man, she's talking about that, oh, what she missed. But then she, you know, while I was there, I, I moved to a, a smaller, um, a smaller community, smaller village. I'm sure you've never been there. You would know, know that one. I said, no, no, really, I, I know every village in Arizona. Which one? She goes, well, it was the village of Florence. <laughs> yeah, I, I graduated from Florence High School. Oh, I graduated from Florence High School too. I mean. Do you know what the odds of that are? Do you have any idea what the odds are? I'll tell you what they are, because I had them calculated by somebody from the Fermi lab. <laughs> it's over three trillion to one. It's over three trillion to one. Man, we both, let me tell you what. She goes, what are, what are these, what do you call these bumps on your arms in English? What are those bumps called? And so Carissa goes, those are called goosebumps. Let me tell you what, man. It was because it was so evident. The Spirit of God is starting to show up. The light is illuminating, okay? The, the light of the world is trying to illuminate for her. She goes, in goosebumps, Chris goes, hey, that's the Holy Spirit of Jesus right now. No, it's not. I'm a Muslim. I mean, it was so funny. No, it's not. I'm a, guess who was the first one to come to Christ when we were there? No, it wasn't Yara. No, it wasn't her. <laughs> it was Lita. It was the other girl who's sitting there staring, going, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. That very week, we had our very first Kayafa meeting in the whole global history of Central Asia. And Lita was the very first one who came to Christ. All right. It took 18 months later as Yetta weighed out the cost. But Yetta ended up coming to Jesus 18 months later. Matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, I got a beautiful message from here. She's back in Turkmenistan. And it's a beautiful message and, and a picture of her and her family just saying, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you've done. You know what she's saying? Thank you for showing me the light of the world. Thank you for illuminating Christ to me, okay? But there were people who wanted to step up and go. And when they were here, they were influenced. They hadn't come to Christ yet, but I'm telling you what, there was enough influence. They had respect for Americans, and they had respect for us as Christians. And they were able to listen. Hey, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And it's that light in you. How bright is your light shining? Let me begin to wrap things up with this last little story. The false, the lumens. It brings to manifest things. It, it takes out the darkness and shows the things that are lurking. Lindsay Q2, we'll go to the next slide. Lindsay was a girl from the University of Arizona. She was a total heathen. She ended up getting saved um, on it, uh, getting up since safety Chi off on campus. She got radically born again, discipled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in water. She was one of those students. She's the girl that I left. She's one of those students who, at the first World Mission Summit, she said, I'll give you her and pray about a lifetime. Won't go into the details too much, but I was walking across the U of A one day. Just I happened to be in Arizona. I said, I'm going to prayer walk my old campus. I'm prayer walking the University of Arizona. At that point, there's 35,000 students. I just run into Lindsay. Boom, just happened to run into her. Lindsay, have you determined? It was April. She's graduating just a couple weeks in May. Lindsay, have you determined where you're doing your give a year? She said, uh, no, not yet. I said, why don't you go with us to Kyrgyzstan? She said, okay. She didn't even pray about it. No prayer. Okay. I said, I like that, man. 
So Lindsay ends up going with us to, to Kyrgyzstan. And uh, her first week there, she meets this, this young girl to your right. Her name is Asel. Asel also had served one year. She'd come to the States in this flex program as a high school student. And she spent one year here in the U.S. And uh, it was there that she was literally housed in a Christian home. So these Christians housed her. Took her. So she had some exposure, but she'd not committed her life to Christ yet. But she'd had some exposure. They let the light shine, that things were beginning to be illuminated. So Lindsay connects with the cell and just begins to start loving her. Relationally starts sharing the kingdom of God. Just do what we do. And let me tell you, what we did in Kyrgyzstan is exactly what we do here in Kaiapha. The exact same thing. Nothing different. Because Kaiapha is transcultural. It's transgenerational. So Estelle starts hanging out. She gets in the small group. Then she starts coming to our large group meetings. And I'll tell you, we broke so many laws there. I, I still look back and go, Jesus, how we were not kicked out is nothing short of a miracle. Um, it really was. But man, I mean, we were putting the kingdom of God out there. And everybody, guys, if I told you some of the stories, we were on the news, we were on the radio, we were on billboards. It was crazy, man, what God was doing because we were letting the light shine. You know, Jesus says... You don't light a candle and put it under a basket. You don't go somewhere and light the candle and say, oh, we're here. Let's make sure no one knows. Put the light in the basket. Said so you let your light shine that they may see your good works and glory. And that's exactly what um, Lindsay started doing with the cell. One of our other team members, her name was Shelly, and Shelly and Lindsay began to just spend a lot of time with the cell and just work to disciple this non-believer. She wasn't a Christian yet. I mean, I'll never forget, it was in October that year. And I just got done speaking. A cell comes up and says, Scott, can I talk to you? I said, sure, uh, okay. And I'll tell you, I just have this feeling this isn't going to go good, okay? I, I need to talk to you. So we're sitting down on the front, and she says, Scott, I know everything you're saying is true. She said, but I'm a Muslim, and I've seen what's happened to other Muslims when they become Christians. So you've got to let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. How much light is really emanating out of our lives. She said, I, I know what you're saying is true, but I'm a Muslim. I've seen what's happened to other Muslims. They become Christians. Her dad, she came out of a very, very strong Muslim village. Her family were very, very locked in Muslim. I remember saying, Asel, we love you and we want you to follow Jesus, but if you never do, I want you to know we'll still love you and we will always love you. We'll always love you. She said, well, thanks. So that semester goes by. She doesn't leave Chi Alpha. She's still, she's still in Chi Alpha. And if she's in, these students are beginning to let their light shine. The light of Jesus. I am the light of the world. It just begins to shine and just keeps shining and shining, just illuminating. And the light of Christ begins to illuminate, brings to manifest the darkness. So it begins to show all this stuff that's happening. And so I really believe that she had really made that commitment. She said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. But she understood the cost of this. She understood that to let your light shine. She understood what it meant when she said, I'm the light of the world. She knew it was everything. It was everything that if she's in, her light would shine brilliantly. It would be the beacon. But if she's going in, she was all in. No halfway business, all in Christ. It was in that March, we had our first ever, in the history of all Central Asia, our first Chi Alpha retreat. So we just selectively handpicked, I go really quick, we selectively handpicked students who we would bring there. The whole focus would be one salvation that'd be very close it was salvation 
The second thing was deliverance. And the third thing was baptism of the Holy Spirit. So these, those three things were the things that we would focus on at this retreat. Acel was one of them who was nominated to come. We gave her the okay. Acel is there that first night. The message comes, and it's really just a clear all in, let your light shine. Jesus is alive, the world message. It says we're all in. I'll never forget when that altar call came, she stood up public. And there's something about public confession, friends. There's something, you stand up and you confess before all your friends. That's a powerful thing. She stood up before everybody and walked up front saying, I'm all in Jesus. I'll never forget just, just man, her commitment to Christ. From that point on, man, she was just completely sold out for the Lord, all in. She helped us in every, and she started letting her light shine on the campus. She was responsible for so many students coming to Christ there in Kyrgyzstan. As Jesus, the light of the world, indwelled in her, and she began to emanate and illuminate that light. She started being our interpreter in different situations, worked with us in the summers when our Kaiafa teams came. Man, she was just absolutely incredible. We had a, a Kaiafa student on one of our, our teams, Ryan, and he started coming. I could tell he was getting goo-goo eyes over her. You know, like, hmm. So one day I pulled him aside, sat him down, said, hey, listen, dude. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. So, hey, let me tell you something. We don't need some American coming in here, some Christian American breaking this girl's heart, okay? So I said, I don't even want you looking at her unless you're committed to marry her. Do you understand me? And if you marry her, you must understand, not only marrying her, you're marrying her family too, and you'll be supporting them for the rest of your life. Do you understand me? Yes, sir. I gave him a little more talk, four points. He can regurgitate the whole thing. Man, he still had goo-goo eyes over her. I mean, they, they didn't stop, so we ended up marrying him. And I'm true to my word, man. And so we ended up doing a, a beautiful wedding. Um, they got, they got uh, married, and he was a, a geological engineer for petroleum in Houston. And so they ended up moving to Houston a few years ago. And uh, just, just really neat is God is beginning to do some incredible things. A cell is all in. Now, now she's just, just growing, but she's here in the States. The last World Mission Summit was January 2016. They were there in Houston. She'd been, uh, they'd been married for just a little over a year. And Asel said, you know, she said, we're right here. Why don't we go to the World Mission Summit too? Why don't, why don't we go and see all our Kayafa friends and just celebrate? So they end up coming. These two Kayafa alumni end up coming to the World Mission Summit. The night that we gave the call to give your and pray about a lifetime. Um, Acel and Ryan stood up and just Holy Spirit moved them and they committed to sign man, we're giving you and praying about a lifetime. And just this March, we had the privilege of laying hands on them and praying over them as they were being commissioned as Assembly of God World missionaries in Russia. All right, did you get the picture here? Did you see all the pieces of the puzzle? How all this ties together, all right? But check this out. It was in August, and I'm, I'm closing with this. While she was still a student, um, she had shared Jesus with a lot of people. She let her light shine. But there was one group of people she had not let her light shine before and, and share with. Do you know who that was? It was her family. It was her mom and dad because she understood the ramifications. You know what? If they know that i become a believer, if they know that I've sold out, if they know that I'm all in, it could cost me everything, everything, including my life. She understood that. She's given me permission to share this, but I want to share an email. I want to talk about let your light so shine before men. Let me see your good works and glorify your Father. I want to really help flesh this out about bringing the light and shining the light and being the light of the world as Jesus is in you. Let's go to the email, you guys. And uh, 
email says this. As the Lord has put in my heart to talk to my parents about Christ tomorrow, the devil's been trying his best to stop me. However, that is not going to happen. Please pray in the spirit that I do it tomorrow and not get discouraged from any reaction will be from my parents' side. Be praying for my mom and dad and my mom's hearts, please. I cannot wait to do it because I believe that there is a reason as to why I was born in this family. Now, you can't see this. For some reason, they put it in red. But I'm going to tell you what it says. It says, I am ready to be stoned to death if that is what is supposed to happen. I am ready to be stoned to death if that is what is supposed to happen. Fortunately, she wasn't, but she let her light shine. She wasn't stoned to death, but she had to count the cost. As a 21-year-old student, she had to count the cost and say, okay, 22 years old, I'm willing to go the distance on this thing. When I signed up for Christ, I was all in. I was going to let my light shine. It would illuminate darkness. I would let his light be in me as he is the light of the world. She said, let my light shine to full beam. I'm going to ask the ministry team, the worship team, if you'd come back up here. All in. Let your light shine. So I want to ask us a question this morning. How bright is your light shining? And how bright does Jesus want his light to shine through you? I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify the Father, which is in heaven. I am the light of the world. How bright is your light shining? What is the illumination? Are there any things that Christ, the light of the world, needs to shine on our life and expose maybe some of the things that might be lurking in there? Because here's what I can tell you. Jesus is looking for 100%. He's looking that in every one of our lives, the brightest illumination that can be his very illumination in every one of your lives. It illuminates how we speak. It illuminates how we give. It illuminates how we spend. It illuminates how we treat other people. It illuminates every aspect of our life. His light, I am the light of the world. It brings illumination to every area of our lives. And so today, before we go, how do we respond to this? I would like to challenge every one of you um, to spend some time at the altar. Our God was a 100% God. Jesus didn't do anything 50 halfway. 10 lepers came to me and said, okay, hey, you like the ones on the right, go be cleansed. You know, ones on the left, suckers, go your way. He didn't say that. It was always all. Blind Bartimaeus, what do you want? I might receive my sight. Okay, left eye be healed, right? No. All, oh, 100%. How much of you do you think he wants? And how much of his light do you think he desires? to illuminate through you, to be the light of the world. I want to suggest that he's designed from every one of us personally to have the high beams on, the great illumination. But there's things in our lives that dim it. There's things in our lives that dim the light. We need to allow Christ to shine light on that. We need to extricate that out of our lives in order that we can beam with the greatest illumination possible. It's all in. It's everything. It's 100%. So when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, is about illuminating darkness, about bringing things to manifest. But it's about him becoming the light in you that shines. 
How much of Christ's light is shining in us today? I'm going to ask us all to stand, if you would. Now, again, I'm asking for 100% participation, 100%. Now, for some reason, there may be some reason you may not be able to do this. But I would like us to just come and spend some time at, at the altar. So I'm going to ask you to move from your seat. The reason I'm asking you to move from your seat, because when you move from your seat, it's saying, God, I'm taking a step towards you. This is the power of that. I'm not just in my comfort zone. I, I'm making a public statement. I'm taking a step towards you right now to say, God, let your light, the light of the world shine in me that I might illuminate the very brightest I can. So I'm asking you right now, if you just move from your seat, find a place to, to pray. Some of you, it may just be some of the seats up front. It may be another seat. But I'm just asking you to make some kind of movement to the Lord and, and to bow our knees before him and say, Jesus, would you let your light shine in my life right now? Light of the world, would you come and shine in my life right now and expose any darkness, anything that is displeasing, anything that is displeasing. May your light shine that on our life, that we might be all in, all in in the way we live, all in the way that we speak, all in the way that we respond, all in the way that we give, all in the way that we, that we spend, Lord God, all in in everything we have, God. Lord, may your light illuminate our lives today, I pray. God, nothing too great for you, Lord, nothing too great for you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you just pray this simple prayer? Jesus, would you, Jesus, light of the world, would you let your light shine in me right now? And if there's anything displeasing to you, anything at all that is displeasing to you, a relationship that is displeasing, a behavior that is displeasing, if there's anything that's displeasing to you, even the smallest thing, would you shine your light on that now that I might be able to get that out, extricate that, that I might let my light shine, Lord, to the highest levels of illumination. That's your prime asking to pray and allow God to show you and speak that. His light will illuminate that. And if he does, in Christ's name, I'm asking you, don't just get up and walk out of here. Do whatever it takes to let Christ's light shine and extricate that, to get that whatever it takes. Amen? Amen? So be it in Jesus' name. See, there is no greater call.
We just come before you right now and we say you can have it all. We thank you for this challenge this morning, this word that stretches us, that takes us to new places, Lord. And I just thank you for these people who have responded this morning, who are saying you can have it all, this moment of total surrender. And may you just encourage us and bless us. And Lord, if we need to continue at this altar and continue to surrender. Um, we thank you that we have the space to do it. But I just thank you for everything that's happened in this place today, Lord. And more than anything, may you have been blessed today. May you have been honored and glorified. And may you take these sacrifices and these things that we're handing over to you and do great things in our community with them. Do things uh, with the people around us, with our families. Uh, just like that girl took the act of obedience to to minister to her family, Lord. May you help us see the moments where we need to do that, where we will be the light of the world to those that are around us. And we thank you uh, that you will empower us to do that. Amen.